ought a, a new tool, follow the red, the bouncing red dot, and we're on PowerPoint tonight. And so you're going to have to let me kind of feel my way through this and see what works and what doesn't. But let's get it up there, Marsha, and let's try this. Now, I understand what you're thinking. It needs to be double-spaced. We, we already know that. And, and it needs bigger font. But we're going to make it tonight because this is our first time. And this is the end of this series, by the way, The Names of God. So let's stand together and... If you get lost, I'm going to try to lead you with that little dot. And we don't let any classes go tonight, do we? I have all of you. Praise God. All right. Now, we've been through the names of God, and we've been learning that to know the names is to know God. How many of you in here have a desire to know God? Really want to know God? I am so excited about what the Lord's put on my heart for the first of the year is I'm going to start a series on Sunday morning. I'm going to call The Apprentice. The Apprentice. And I'm going to spend weeks on talking to you about discipleship. How to become a student or a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus. And we're going to get out of consumer Christianity. And we're going to get into real Christianity. Real Christianity. That's Sunday mornings. And so I'm getting ready for it. I've been preparing myself. And uh, it's going to be great, The Apprentice. And Donald Trump will not be here, by the way. All right. Let's, let's read the verse, can we? And the name of the city from that day shall be Jehovah Shammah. Father, we thank you that your word is true and the names of God have taught us about our Heavenly Father and what we have inherited through Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, as we wrap up this series... Open your word to us. Help us to come to know you better. Walk with you closer. Learn more of you. Draw closer to you. And we thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen. You're going to need it tonight. All right, we've come now to the last name of 12. The last name of 12 names. In light of its context, it's very fitting that this is the name with which the Old Testament revelation of God climaxes. This is the last one revealed in the Old Testament. And in our study over the last 11 weeks, we've seen that Jehovah had revealed himself in the power and majesty and glory of his person and as meeting every need of man. You know, you look at these redemptive names of God. They speak to every need we've got being met, every one of them. Now, his name Elohim, the first name revealed in Genesis, the very first name by which God was revealed, revealed him not only as creator and ruler, but as covenanting to preserve his creation. So God's got a covenant. You know why? I'm not afraid of global warming or global freezing because I know who holds the world in his hands. And so I'm not walking around going, oh, no, it's two degrees hotter than it was last year because I know in the 1970s they ran an article in time on how we were headed for a global ice age. So whatever the current fad is, they don't bother me because Elohim covenanted to care for his creation. Okay? The name Jehovah 
revealed him in special relationship to man. Because since that name indicates absolute self-existence, he answers to nobody, he bows to nobody, Jehovah is self-existent, and therefore one who is infinite and eternal. It could be understood only by creatures who could grasp and appreciate the infinite and the eternal, and that's you. And that's why God revealed himself to us as Jehovah, because my dogs are never going to understand that. The birds are never going to get it. We, human beings alone, have the capacity to understand the meaning of Jehovah. Monkeys don't get it. The smartest chimp they've got somewhere cannot grasp Jehovah, but we can. So God revealed himself this way. Also, right here, here we are. Also, the name of Jehovah reveals his moral and spiritual attributes. That's part of Jehovah. From Jehovah, the Ten Commandments flowed. And what are the Ten Commandments? Moral and ethical guidelines. That flowed from Jehovah. Since we were made in his image, we too were created with a moral and spiritual makeup that coincided with God's. It says in the Bible, he placed in you his moral code. Read history sometime. I've been amazed at this. I love history, and, I, and I've, I've made it a project of mine to, to do a real um, sweep of history in a pretty major way. And I've gone back and I've studied the ancient civilizations. And here's what you find when you go to these ancient civilizations. I mean, the oldest ones we know of, Sumeria, S-U-M-E-R-I-A, not Samaria, but Sumeria, before Egypt, and way, way back into ancient times. And yet, you find these people had a moral code. And you say, where'd you get it? Where did they get it? They didn't know about Jehovah. They didn't know about this Semitic race that God was raising up to bring forth his revelation to the world. They knew nothing about this. Where did they get the moral code? Where did the Egyptians get it? Where did the ancient Greeks get it? Where'd they get it before they knew anything about the Ten Commandments? Where'd they get it? God put in all of us his moral code. And that's what separates us from every other created creature. It's in you. I was talking to an agnostic person one day. And they were saying to me, you know, I just don't believe there's a God. I just don't believe. I'm, I'm, I'm at very best not sure, and, and I probably uh, don't believe in one, period. But I happen to know that this person is a very law-abiding, very uh, uh, moral person. And so I said to this person, where did you get your morals? Where did you get your sense of right and wrong? If you don't believe in the Bible and you don't believe in God, where did you get it? And their face went blank. And I said, I'll tell you where you got it. The God you don't believe in, put it there. On, there we go. Here. Here. 
What are you doing? Y'all talk to each other for a second. All right. I'd much rather use that one if y'all can just fellowship for a minute. Turn and say hello. Good to see you in church on Wednesday night. This won't take long. Got a new battery? Yeah, it did. No good? No, we're on now? Okay. The unit clicked I don't know why. I don't know. We're going to try it. Okay. Everybody say, praise God. I can be patient. Don't, don't quit on me already. All right, now. So God put in all of us a moral code. And, and so people can be riddled with guilt who don't believe in God at all because the moral code is in them. So this is when, this is, uh, where were we? Since we were made in his image, we too were created with this spiritual makeup. When Adam fell in the garden, our relationship with that moral and spiritual God was broken. And there's where all of our problems have come. All right? This is why, following the fall, the name Jehovah was compounded with redemptive names that covered fallen sinful man. These compound names depict every aspect of the awesome redemption by which man is fully restored to God. Think about it. The compound names cover healing, victory, peace, sanctification, justification, preservation, care, and guidance. Why? God started adding redemptive names next to Jehovah after man fell because we needed to be redeemed. So I don't know about you, but I need healing. I need victory. I need peace and sanctification. Justification, thank God we're justified. I need to be protected and preserved. I need care and I need a guidance today. Amen? Now, Jehovah Shammah, the one we're looking at this time, is the promise and the pledge of the completion of that purpose in man's final rest and glory. For man's end, our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And we're just warming up here on earth. But our purpose is to enjoy Him and glorify Him forever. Amen. So Paul the Apostle wrote, I love this, quote, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also, what everybody? Glorified. All in the past tense. It's done. These things are finished in Jesus Christ. Now, when we're talking about Jehovah Shammah, Let's look at the occasion of the name. How, why did it pop up? What, what was the context that this name uh, arrived in? All right, the name Jehovah Shammah is found in the very last verse of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel began to prophesy at a time when Israel was at the lowest ebb of its history, spiritually and nationally. The sun, S-U-N, of Israel's strength and of her glory had long set, and the night was fast closing in. The judgment of God was over them. 
as Paul wrote so much of the New Testament from prison cells, Ezekiel wrote every one of his prophecies from the place of captivity. Do you know that? And where he had been taken several years before Jerusalem was destroyed. He was taken into the Babylonian captivity. And his final vision was written in the 25th year of captivity and 14 years after Jerusalem had fallen. The temple was destroyed and only a tiny remnant were left in the land. I mean, when Ezekiel was prophesying, y'all, it was bleak and it was dark. He was looking at only a remnant, only a shadow, only a wisp of what used to be there. We're talking about when David was king. Israel was the greatest nation on earth. Israel reached its zenith under David and Solomon. But since this since that time of such incredible power and influence when the queen of Sheba visited and said, the half hadn't even been told me. I can't even believe what I'm seeing with my eyes. The greatness of Israel, the greatness of what God has built here. From that time, they're now in captivity. There's nothing left. There's only a tiny, miserable remnant of people. And the glory that used to be is long gone. It looked like, and here was the tragedy of it, like they had been delivered from Egypt under Moses only to wind up in bondage again in Babylon. It's almost like these people were destined to be in bondage, though they weren't, but that's what it looked like. Man, God does all this and delivers you from Egypt with all those plagues, carries you across the sea, carries you into the promised land, and now here you are in bondage again to another nation. This was not God's will. All right? The Psalms paint a graphic picture of their misery. The psalmist wrote, quote, Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem, they said mockingly. But they replied, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in this wasteland? They were under such judgment. There was no song. There was no song. Okay? In their time of humiliation and sorrow, they had all kinds of time to think about their follies and what they had lost. Jerusalem, their sacred city, was destroyed. Their temple of worship was torn down. This is why they vowed on the banks of the river, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above all else. Let me just translate that for you. Lord, give us a second chance. If we can just have a second chance, we will never forget Jerusalem again. We'd rather die than forget Jerusalem like we did. We will never let this be taken from us again. Aren't you glad God's a God of a second chance? And a third and a fourth and a fifth? Come on, y'all. All right. Yet in spite of these sentiments, Ezekiel's final prophecy is to a people whose enthusiasm for Zion had begun to wane. They've been in captivity so long they started getting used to it. It's the frog in the boiling water. When the water starts heating up because it does it gradually, the frog gets used to it, where by the time the water begins to boil and kill him, 
he has not been aware of what he was in because the heat was incremental. And if you're not careful, you can settle for way less than God has for you because you get used to captivity. You get used to second best. You get used to it. Amen. And I tell you what, life is too short for that. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going all the way. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to get everything I can out of it, and I'm not going to settle for. But these people started settling for. And I see people in the church this way, people who say they're Christians, and yet they settle for. They settle for because they're in something so long, they start getting used to it. They say, ah, well, you know, sometimes you just have to settle for, but you really don't. This is why God raised up Ezekiel to tell them, don't you dare settle for don't do it. He tells them that God is going to restore them in a measure far beyond anything they've ever experienced or even could have imagined. What is God's approach to them? Is it, hey, dummies, get up, don't settle for it? Uh-uh. God's approach is, let me stoke your flame by giving you a vision. And I have found that's the way people are. If you get on people about stuff and rebuke them about stuff, they don't change. But if you motivate people by giving them a vision, then they change. Then they say, I want that. And so I'm going to ask you again tonight, how many of you want God's best? How many of you want your life to count for Jesus Christ? Amen? How many of you want to see God move here? How many of you want to be a disciple? All right. This is what he's saying. Now, to motivate them, the pledge, the pledge of God. If you will just respond to my words, the pledge of all of this is wrapped up in the name Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah is there. The same Jehovah who had departed from the old temple that had been desecrated by the abominations of his own people will return, Ezekiel said, into a new and glorious city and a new and a glorious temple, purged of all the old abominations and oppressions and characterized instead by righteousness, holiness, and justice. God said, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do a new thing, and I want you to embrace it. I want you to embrace it. The glory of Jehovah, said Ezekiel, is going to fill this new place, and his presence Jehovah Shammah is going to be there forever. Here's the voice that Ezekiel heard. I'm quoting straight from Ezekiel. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. You know, I had several people tell me Sunday morning or after Sunday morning, said I walked in and I sat down and I began to weep. And it wasn't weeping from sorrow. It was weeping from God touching my heart. You know what I believe? I believe he's picked this place. He doesn't dwell in cement and steel. He doesn't dwell in it, but he dwells in people who do dwell in it. And here's what I believe. God's going to visit this house. And that's why I'm going to be preaching on apprenticeship, because we need to be following him in discipleship, because he's going to visit this house. He's going to visit people. 
I believe people are going to come walking in who are lost and they're going to begin to weep in the presence of God and not know why. I'm serious. This is what he's saying here. I'm going to dwell. Look, what does it say? Read it with me. I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. Well, that's the Old Testament people. What about you covered in the blood of Jesus Christ? Now, what is in a name? The God of Israel had always been a present God. We've got to get this. But his presence had been conditional. We call this in theology a conditional promise. There are unconditional promises and there are conditional ones. And conditional promises always have if attached. If you do this or that, then I will do this or that. It's a conditional promise. It was a conditional promise for God to be present. It depended on their faithfulness to his covenant, which had required holiness among them. Jehovah had promised his presence among them from the beginning. Now, whatever the outward symbols were of his presence, his presence was real and it was felt. Even in the Old Testament, you could feel his presence. All right? Um, He said to Moses, for instance, Moses, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. What did God say? You're not going alone, Moses. My presence is going with you. And it's going in the, in the, in the form of my angel. And then in verse 23, this angel is called my angel. My angel. And it was the angel of Jehovah who appeared to Moses at the burning bush and announced himself to Moses as the I am that I am. Jehovah himself spoke to him out of that bush. Praise God. When Moses prayed that God would continue with his people, in spite of their rebellion, Jehovah said to him, quote, my presence what everybody? My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses again later tells the people that God had brought you out with his presence. There's something about the presence of God. Uh, how many times have you felt down and like you were down for the count and couldn't take another step, and the presence of God touched you? And that presence strengthened you and encouraged you and caused you to move forward. That's the presence of God. Isaiah talks about it beautifully and powerfully. He says these words, in their entire affliction, talking about Israel, in their entire affliction, he was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and pity, he redeemed them and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Look what saved them, the angel of his presence. The angel of his presence. That's why people walk in here. You know why they walk in here and the Spirit of God begins to touch them? Because where they are all week long, the Spirit of God is not present. Where they live their lives, the Spirit of God is not present. We're used to walking in and sensing the presence of God. But church, hear me tonight. There are multitudes, millions of people out there who have never encountered the presence of God. And so they walk in, and when the Spirit of God is brooding or present in a place, they've never felt that before, and it undoes them. 
Both the tabernacle and the temple were the place of his abode and his visible manifestation in Israel. He manifested himself in the tabernacle and in the temple. God had promised that here will I dwell, for I have desired it. And as soon as the tabernacle in the wilderness was completed and dedicated, we're told that the glory of Jehovah filled it. And the cloud of Jehovah was upon the tabernacle by day, and there was fire therein by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. In January, we're going to have a dedication of this building, and I'm bringing some prophetic people. And we're going to have, we're going to have church. And we're going to dedicate this building to God. And, and because I want, this is what I want here. I mean, hey, he hadn't changed. He said, here will I dwell, for I have desired it. And the glory of Jehovah filled that place when they dedicated the tabernacle. And the cloud of Jehovah was on it by day, and fire was in it by night. And everybody saw it. Hallelujah. All right. When the temple was built by Solomon on the very side of Mount Moriah, where Jehovah had revealed himself to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh. A dramatic scene took place, and you've probably read about it, but boy, it's powerful. Solomon stood up and he made a dedicatory prayer. And when he dedicated this uh, temple to God, it says the fire, the symbol of Jehovah's presence and power, fell from heaven, consumed the sacrifices on the altar, and the glory of Jehovah filled the house. Can you imagine standing there with sacrifices in an altar and suddenly fire falls out of the clear blue and consumes it? And then suddenly the people are overwhelmed with the power and presence of God and fall on their faces? Powerful stuff. And look, the priests could not enter into the house. They couldn't even come in because the glory of Jehovah had filled Jehovah's house. Wow. But was this, now I'm going to ask you a question, big question here. We read about this and we go, oh, that's so powerful. That's, that's really neat. Praise God. And it is powerful. But was this the fullest meaning of the name Jehovah Shammah to be experienced in any earthly habitation? Was this the climax of it? Was this the best of the best? of the fulfillment of the name, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Is it the ultimate? Mm -mm. Solomon had asked a great question. Will God in very deed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. Then how much less a house? How can that contain you? You're the great God of the universe. We can't contain you in a house built with hands. And he was right. Here's the fulfillment of the name Jehovah Shammah. The answer to Solomon's question awaited a New Testament answer. The Bible says of Jesus Christ, the Word became human. And what did he do? Read it with me, everybody. Made his home among us. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you're his house. You're God's house. You are God's house, all right? Made his home among us. And then John continues 
and we beheld his glory. Thus he became, what did Isaiah say about Jesus? We quote it at Christmas time all the time. Emmanuel means God with us. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Where is he? He's with you. Where is he? He's in you. You are God's house. Your body of flesh and bones is God's house. He's living in you. Does he feel at home? Is he made to feel comfortable? Look at this. The one who in the Old Testament came in occasional mysterious appearances as the angel of Jehovah, the angel of his presence, or the angel of the covenant, became in Christ both the presence itself and the temple in whom the presence resided, so that in Jesus it could be said, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah is right there. And rather than manifesting his power in a temple made of wood and stone and cement and steel like this, Jehovah has now manifested his power in believers who are called the living temples of God. Now I want you to read this with me, can you? Paul says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Now think about that profound thought for a minute. Think about this. We just read where God so filled a temple built with hands that they couldn't stand on their feet and they couldn't even walk into the sanctuary. His power was so manifested. And yet that was not the ultimate of God dwelling in a place. It's ultimately fulfilled in you. Now you are his house. He's living in you. He's dwelling in you. He's pitched tent in you. He abides in you. He lives in you. And I'll tell you something else. And this isn't very politically correct at all. So it's got to be right. Here's the deal. Until you call on the name of Jesus and your sins have been forgiven and the Spirit of God has come to dwell in you, He's not living in you. And I'm going to take it a step further. Not everybody is God's child. Everybody's created by God. But we're not all God's children. That's a lie of the culture. He, he makes his home in those who have called on the name of Christ. And that's it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So, Pastor Jeff, that's kind of narrow. Jesus said it's a narrow way. Well, that's kind of narrow-minded. No, it's just right. And you know why it's right? Because he said it was right. Not because I said it was right. If I'm ever on Larry King, and he looks at me and says, well, Jeff, do I have to believe like you do? I'm going to say, you know, Larry, let me just quote Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And if you don't go through him, you're not God's child. Now, I don't mean that critically. I'm quoting Christ. So if you have an issue with it, take it up with Christ. <laughs> take it up with him. I'm just, I'm just an errand boy. I'm just a messenger boy. I'm a Western Union boy. I'm just giving you a message. 
Jesus said it, and that's why it's right. And if you think, well, just because he said it, it doesn't mean anything, then you're probably not saved. See, we got to get to the place where Jesus is our authority. And I don't want to bleed over into Sundays come the first of the year, but okay? That's why it's right. Now look at this. And again, Paul writes, read it with me, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. Is that not beautiful? I will live in them and walk among them. Is that just figurative, flowery speech? Or is that what he meant? I will live in them, and when they're gathered together, I walk among them. That means he's walking around in here. Okay? Look what it says. Let's keep reading. I will be their God, and they will be my people. The church is now the habitation of God. It can truly be said, what, everybody? That's why when people walk in who are lost, they begin to weep. Why? Because he's in us, and when we gather together, he's walking among us. So it can truthfully be said when people gather in his name, Jehovah is there. Praise God. As the fire of God fell, when the first temple built by Solomon was dedicated, so the Spirit of God fell on the 120 gathered in the upper room in the form of cloven tongues of fire. That was not by mistake. Because every time God visited his temple, it was in the form of fire. When Elijah called for the presence of God to fall, it came in the presence of fire. So when the Spirit of God fell upon his early church and the church was born, it fell in the form of fire. God testifying, now my people... <clears throat> are my home. Praise God. The fire in the temple consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of God filled the house. Likewise, the fire of the Holy Spirit consumed the disciples with the zeal of the Lord of hosts. As the presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies within the temple, now the presence of God dwells in the bodies of believers. And in the, in the name Jehovah Shammah, will find its ultimate fulfillment in heaven, in the city of God to come. John saw something stunning in his vision of eternity. Here's what he wrote. Let's stand and read this together, can we? What did John see? Let's read it. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth are passed away. See, is no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. There will be no more curse, no adversary, no defilement, no sorrow, for every wicked doer shall be cut off from that city of the Lord. And we shall join with the angels in heaven, saying, 
unto him that sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Give God praise. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? So say with me, I am his home. And as we gather together, Jehovah Shammah is present. And what a blessing that is. And he's here right now. Amen. Tom, come on up and we're going to pray. And Tom's going to lead us in one final worship song. And you know, I love worshiping with you because he is here. And that's what makes church, church. And that's why you can't do without it with all of its faults. That's why you can't do without it. Amen? So, amen. Father, we just thank you for the names we've learned about, for the power of those names, the redemptive names, and how they reveal the plan and the purpose of God for his people. And Lord, we worship you right in this place as Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. And we know that Jesus is Jehovah Shammah. Because of him, the presence is here. Thank you, Lord, that you are walking among us right now. And we worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Can we just lift our hands and worship him and let that presence of God, according to his covenant promise, let it move among us now. And drink of his spirit, everybody. Everybody.